So, hello, people. Welcome to the podcast, The Creative Fault. Back with another episode, and this time I will be having a great interview with a very special person. He's an author, publisher, content creator, very charming, has a lot of humor, great sense of humor, but has also a lot of good things to say. Welcome, people, to the podcast, and here is Craig Stewart. Welcome, Craig. Those are the applause. Hey there. <laughs> How are you? I am amazing. Thanks yeah. for having me. I appreciate it. Like, I'm blown away that you're way in the Netherlands and I'm way in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. So yeah. That's the beauty of internet. The beauty of internet is that you yeah. can follow so many people all over the world and anybody who has something to say and you're resonating with that, then you become instantly a fan of that or, you know, just a follower. So, I've been following your platform for quite a while when you were still in your old apartment. I forgot the number uh-huh. of it, 227. 227. See, 227. Yeah. Everything happened in 227. Yes, indeed. Yeah, when you were starting out with your whole yeah. journey as being an artist. Um, yeah. I just mentioned a couple of titles that you have, but I think the people would like to know from you who you are, what it is that you do, and how you actually present yourself to the world. Okay. Well, I define myself as a writer. I never say an author. Um, I think partly because I never set out to write books. Like, that wasn't my thing. So I went to Hampton University in Virginia, and I was a journalism major there. So at one point, I thought, I always knew that I could write, but I thought that I wanted to do the television news. I wanted to sit at the desk, and I would, you know, disseminate the news. And then I realized my sophomore year, because that's when we started taking like our major courses, mm-hmm. that isn't what I wanted to do. Like that wasn't what I was called to do, right? I mm-hmm. wanted to do more of a creative writing, not a writing, a type of or a style of writing that was curated for me. Okay, Craig, we need you to cover voting today. Tomorrow there's a house fire. And like, I didn't want to be told what to write. I wanted to do more of a creative thing. And so I moved to Atlanta and I was writing music. I did that for a while. Never had a song play, so don't get off iTunes. Don't go looking for it. Um, but I have worked with Brandy and a bunch of Tweet. I don't know if you guys remember yes, Tweet. Yes, Brandy Tweet, Missy Elliott, yeah. the whole gang. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was writing for artists, but I never had a song placed on an album because it's they get so many songs from so many people mm-hmm. and they have to whittle it down to 10 or 12 songs or however many songs they're going to put on an album. Self-competition. Right. So writing music didn't pay my bills, right? So I had to find something else to do. Um, and so at the same time, I was coming to terms with being gay. And so um, it, they kind of happened at the same time. And so I was writing music and I was also coming to terms with that. And so I was starting to have my first relationships with guys. Mm-hmm. And three years after that first relationship that really kind of tugged at my heart, the first one where I kind of fell in love, Three years after that, I wrote my first stage play. So I was writing stage plays. And then I founded a greeting card company, sayitinacard.com. It's now sayitinacard.com, but it was just sayitinacard at the time. And so I was writing greeting cards and writing the stage play. And for a long time, I wasn't sure what was dialogue for the play and what was going to be a greeting card until I kind of got the rhythm of it. And so um, I was doing those things. And then... So I kind of left the music behind, but didn't really, because then when I wrote the stage play, I ended up writing the music for the play. And then years after that, um, after I kind of came to a stop or an impasse with the play, Mm -hmm. I ended up writing my first book. But there's a lot in between there. But I ended up writing my first book, and then here I am four books later. That's a lot. When you Oh, but you said, how do I define myself? So there's this content creation um, I started a, a podcast, So yeah. Much to Say podcast. Um, you can now find it on YouTube. Um, it may still be on some other platforms like Spotify and, and iTunes and stuff like that, but it's definitely on YouTube. Um, but So Much to Say podcast was just kind of like what you were saying before. Um, I wanted to speak about things that were socially relevant, things that topics that I think were ignored or overlooked or mm-hmm. weren't really um, um, investigated enough, if you will. Yeah. So I started this podcast, but I wanted to, I wanted to center it on black people, people of color, 
right? Black and brown people, the issues that are important to us. Mm-hmm. And, um, and with a twist of LGBTQ slash queer stuff as well. So it was all everything black and, and everything gay mm-hmm. or queer. And so um, I did that for a while and then uh, loved it. And then the pandemic happened. So I was still publishing books at this time. I was still writing and publishing books. I had book, you know, done the whole book tour thing. Um, but then the pandemic happened and I didn't feel as comfortable sitting in the same room yeah. with someone to podcast. And, and people became more um, conscious of that as well. And so I started doing more things online. And so I started um, doing live streams on YouTube and Facebook. And in the beginning, I didn't know what to talk about. You know, at the time I was substitute teaching, I was podcasting, I was publishing books um, because I wasn't really being sustained from the proceeds of the book at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing driving for Lyft and Uber, podcasting, uh, uh, substitute teaching. And then I started live streaming. And that live stream is what took it to another level. So to your point, the power of the internet. Um, I started to reach people in other countries like you, like you're in the, in the Netherlands yeah. and um, different countries in Africa and of course across the United States and Canada and the UK. So I was reaching all of these people through these live streams and they started purchasing books, right? Um, downloading the audio version or the digital version for their iPad or Kindle or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then of course those in the United States were going directly to my website and purchasing books because they wanted an autograph. And so then I would ship the books out. So then every day my life became streaming and signing books and shipping books out. And you would um, sign them manually. I sign everything. Yes, I sign every single one. Yeah. Um, and, but of course you can purchase from Amazon as well, but you know, there are people who want that signature, right? Oh, wow. So, I mean, it just, the live streaming was what really shifted things for me. Mm. And you just mentioned in in that piece that there was a part of you that was like, okay, this is not what I wanted to do. What was it? Was Mm -hmm. it a voice? Was it a feeling? Was it a nudge? Was it a moment that you were like, I can't go to the place where I used to go to do the work that I wanted to do? How did that feel? It was God speaking. That's the way I always say it, right? And I believe God speaks through nudges. He speaks Mm -hmm. through whispers. He speaks through that tugging in your spirit, right? And so, uh, but he also speaks through people, yeah. you know? Um, I believe that God is always speaking, we're just not always listening. Because sometimes I think the voice of God is sometimes drowned out by the voices of voices in the world. Mm-hmm. The voices in the world could be your family, it could be your friends, it could be your coworkers, you know? It's like sometimes the voice of God is just drowned drowned out. And so, but for me, I just, it, it just didn't feel um, germane to me. like you know, work in these particular day jobs. And I used to resist. I used to kick, scream, and resist going to work. Like, I hated it. I dreaded it. Um, and it and it, it showed in my work. Like, and I had great jobs. You, you know what I'm saying? Because I worked for Coca-Cola at one point. I worked for IBM at one mm-hmm. point. But I that was not my passion, mm-hmm. right? And I was always longing for something else, um, something more creative. Um, and, and it wasn't until I started writing for a theater company. This is before I started writing my own stage plays. This was during the period where I was just writing music and I was going to these music studios and writing music with different artists. And mm-hmm. so I was writing for a theater company and I was not getting paid. And I felt the most fulfilled doing that. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't getting paid. And so I just knew that there's something to this. And I have to figure out a way to do this in a way that I can get paid and I can just do this full time. But the journey from there to here was a long time. Yeah. It was yeah. a long time from there to here. And I think a lot of times with artists in particular, they get consumed with the, the time in between there and here. They get lost in this area here because they're concerned with how to get from here to here. here. But the journey here is none of your business. That's not your business. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is keep taking those steps, because I believe every single step that you take for yourself, God will take three steps for you in your behalf, on your behalf. But a lot of times we get paralyzed, especially as artists. Mm -hmm. We get stuck. We get stuck in the day-to-day stuff. We get stuck in the, ooh, how I'm going to pay the light bill. 
Ooh, I just got a flat tire in the car. That's another financial obstacle. Yeah. Ooh, I need to build a website for my business. You know, and sometimes, sometimes we get stuck and we get paralyzed and then that paralysis turns into a depression, you know, and it's just, it's hard to be creative. And so it took me some time to realize that you have to do what you need to do until you can do what you want to do. Yeah. Which means sometimes you have to take that job. You may have to take that day job to be able to keep, take care of home. So you have to do what you have to do until you can do what you want to do. Um, but I used to get frustrated doing those jobs. But looking back, if I had just been more patient with myself and patient with those jobs and understood, if I had understood at the time that that was a means to an end, those jobs were going to fuel my my vision, my dream, right? It's basically they were pushing you forward, actually. Yes. And there's a lesson in every single stage. There's a lesson at every single stage. Every single job is designed to teach you something. And and I realized looking back, and of course foresight is um, or hindsight is 2020. But yeah. every single job that I had taught me something. I, I implement something that I learned at every single one of those jobs in my day to day or my my career now. But I didn't know that. We're gonna come to that because I also believe that, um, and I think in one of your. I think it was something that you did on YouTube and you were talking about that particular piece about mm -hmm. having those jobs and how you realized that each and every single job gave you a specialty, a capability of yeah. growing your business and really mm -hmm. developing yourself as an entrepreneur, but also as an artist. So we're going to definitely come to that because I believe that for people that want to be in this particular field of the arts and of uh -huh. the creativity, you do have to be open to that. Be open yeah. to the fact that you might not eat from what you are passionate about, right? That's not going to feed you for a while. It's going to feed mm -hmm. your soul, but it's not going to feed your children for a while. If you have them, it's not going to put food on the table for a while, but it's going to feed your soul. And in the meantime, build all other things that you want to do. So we're going to definitely come to that. The books that you have mm -hmm. written, and I think uh -huh. it's in this time span between 2015 and 2020 that you've written three books, Words Never Spoken, One Thing's For Certain, Two Things For Sure, The Book of Jewels for Personal Development. Interesting. It's four you, books. Four books. What's the fourth one? The fourth one is so much to say a book of quotes. Um, so the first book, Words Never Spoken, came out in 2012. Mm -hmm. so from 2012 until 2020, it's I was released. Yeah. Um, because Book of Jewels, which is the most recent book, yeah. which I believe is my best work, um, for different reasons, though, because Words Never Spoken is my baby. So, you know, mm -hmm. anyway, um, it took me about eight years to write Book of Jewels. Like, it had a, I knew that it was going to be called Book of Jewels mm -hmm. when I started. It took eight years because I had more living to do. Like, I wasn't ready to write that book. Like, the things that I needed to say, I had not grown enough to be able to, to be able to even say it, to be able to even write it. I knew what kind of book I wanted it to be, but I hadn't lived enough to be able to write it out. Mm -hmm. um, Do you also feel that um, in order for you to have written those books that you felt the moment that you were ready to put that story on paper mm -hmm. and that you were yeah. also open to do that? How did, how did that process go? So, um, <laughs> with each book, it was different. Now, like I said, with Book of Jewels, I started, it came out in 2020. I probably started writing it in 2002. No, 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 2000, um, what's the, do the math for it? It was 2012. Yeah. So I probably started, I came up with the title in 2012. And I had, I had, there are some elements in that book that are still there from when I first started writing in 2012. But mm -hmm. then there was a lot that I scrapped. Um, I had the titles. I mean, I had the chapters. I, there was, there was, there's a lot that's still in it. But then a lot of it I had to scrap and I had to revisit and I, I had to rewrite it. But it just kind of came to me and it just took time. Like there were times that I would write for a few months at a time and then I'd put it down and I'd come back to it a year later <laughs> or maybe two years. Or, like I said, it was eight years. Just a long like I wasn't time project. Yeah, so I wasn't literally writing every day for eight years. Like I literally would put put it down for like a year or two. Yeah. And then I'd live a little bit and I said, Oh yeah, I got something for this. You know, but 
Um, with words never spoken, the very first book, I had no intention of writing a book. So I had lived in Atlanta for 13 years at that point. Like I said, I graduated from Hampton, moved to mm-hmm. Atlanta, I was writing music. During that time, I founded the greeting card business and wrote my wrote and produced my first stage play yeah. called A Day in the Life. And I lived here for 13 years. I, I just felt like I hit a wall, like nothing was happening. I lost everything. Car was repossessed. Bank account was overdrawn. Mm. Uh, 660 American dollars. I know you're over in the Netherlands. So many euros and, here. Right. <laughs> so I don't know how much that is in euros. Um, Let's subtract and, like 40, 30 dollars. Okay. And I was living with a friend of mine um, because I couldn't afford to, to, to live, mm. you know, to have a place of my own. And so I think I said my car was repossessed. And so I was just kind of floating through life, right? And didn't know what, I, I was really starting to question whether or not I was called to be a writer. Because yeah. my, my thought was, if you're so great at this, why aren't you sustaining? Why, hey. why can't you keep this thing going? Good one. Um, and so I ended up going back to what we were saying a moment ago. There was a whisper. There was an instinct that said, you need to be in L.A. I shared the full story in Words Never Spoken, but just jump over it. Um, I ended up in L.A. And when I was in L.A. was when I started writing Words Never Spoken, and it clicked. It was like, this is why you were here. This is why you were born. Mm-hmm. And your book, this book, wanted to be born in L.A. And because I had lived here for so long, I became an adult here. Like, I moved here at 22. So I became an adult here in Atlanta. So most of my friends are here. And so it, there was too much noise. Like I was saying a moment ago, God is always speaking. We're not always listening. Yeah. But fortunately, I was listening when he said, and he had to tell me twice because I ignored it the first time because he was like, you need to be in LA. And I ignored it. Yeah. Fast forward three, four months later, you know, I went on and, and acted on it. But if I had stayed here in Atlanta, I don't know if that book would have ever been born because I knew too many people here. Like I said, I had become an adult. I had a social life and, you know, and... I moved to LA and, and I only knew two people. So there was the there was the silence that I needed to write this first book. Mm-hmm. And so I was there literally nine months. And you know, nine months is the typical gestation for a woman to birth a child. I believe that baby, that baby, that my baby. baby was born. Yeah, it was born in nine months. I was there, I, I was writing for nine months. I lived there almost exactly one year, almost to the day. Mm. And then I moved back to the East Coast and I came back to the East Coast because and particularly, I came to Atlanta because I had produced a stage play here that had sold out. Mm-hmm. I had started and founded the greeting card business that had some customers here. So I knew that if I came here and released that first book, that I could at least sell 10 books. <laughs> Even if I only sold 10, yeah. I knew I could at least get some traction moving. And so that was how it started. Do you believe that it is important for artists or people that, that, that get that nudge, right? Mm-hmm. They get that nudge of, I need to do something with what I have that solitude is important to be in that space so that you can hear yourself? Yes, I believe in solitude. I believe in whether you call it meditation, whether Mm. you call it praying, you have to get still. Mm. So you can call it whatever you want to call it, but you got to get still. And that means there's, there's no phone ringing. No, you can't go to happy hour. No, you don't need to go over to nobody's house to have a drink or have Mm. dinner or go out. Like you have to have those moments where you get still. Um, but the thing that's so important too, um, and this, this is just for human beings. This isn't even just about being an artist or an entrepreneur. It's important to get still and to get quiet so that you can be sure that you're separating instinct from ego. Because your instincts will definitely guide you in direction, but your ego will sometimes guide you and direct you in the wrong direction. Exactly. You understand what I'm saying? Like your ego will sometimes tell you, you need to go ahead and leave that job, go ahead and jump out on faith, start this business. But your instincts will tell you, no, you better hold on to that job. Yeah. Still follow your dreams, still run to your dreams, but be smart about it. And so if I could say anything to the younger Craig, it would have been, you better stay your ass at that job. (laughs) Because see, at the time, and see, when you're young, you're kind of (laughs) dumb. You know, you're smart, but you're dumb. dumb. And so like, there were times that I thought that the job was in the way of my dream. Mm-hmm. This eight hour job is in the way. I could be at the studio writing music. This job is in the way. I, I could be at rehearsal 
for this stage play. I didn't wrote this play. I didn't assemble this cast. Like I felt like if I didn't take hold of my dreams, that they wouldn't they wouldn't manifest. They wouldn't happen. But I, I'm here to tell you. And again, I talk about this in my first book. Mm-hmm. Um, words never spoken. <laughs> God will always align the things that you need. You you have everything that you need right now. And there isn't anything that can get in the way of your dream. And what I know to be true. Yeah. Do you think that people are afraid of that solitude, of that silence? Because we are so distracted and we get, you know, here and there, I need to be here. And this person might help me out. That person can help me out. I don't know if it's so much that people are afraid as much as... Mm -hmm people are just always constantly moving because we think that we can expedite the dream. We think we can Mm -hmm. um, make success happen faster. And so you were saying, well, what's your fourth book? The fourth book is called So Much to Say, A Book of Quotes. And in there I say, um, there's a quote in there where I talk about, um, you can't connect the dots to life or to success any faster than God or the universe, whatever you believe, is going to make it happen. Like, we sometimes think we can manipulate success. Or if I just do this, or I do that. Like, no, like, you can't. And sometimes people throw so much money into their business, this small business, because they think, oh, if I just had the money, the backing behind it, and then it's just going to take off. Or if I just build this website, all of a sudden, it's going to take off. No, people still have to be driven to the website. You understand what I'm saying? So everything, there's something sweet about gradual, about taking your time, right? Yeah. But a lot of times as a young entrepreneur or an artist, and when I say young, I don't necessarily mean by age. I just mean young in the business. Yeah. It's, it's sometimes it's hard for people to just slow down and take a breath because you want to give this outward perception to people that you've already succeeded. Like once you open up the doors to your your bakery or to your restaurant or to your shoe store, you want people to think, oh yeah, all of a sudden, you know, you have this influx of Revenue coming in. No, take your time. Take small steps. There's nothing wrong with a small start, a small beginning. And could it be correct that, as I hear you speak about it, that those books guided you in that flow where you were very comfortable being yourself and also allowed you to grow and grow up into the person that you are right now? Yeah, it was therapeutic for me, um, mm-hmm. all of them, for, for different reasons. You know, as an artist, as a as a, a person of color moving through the world as a black gay person you know what i mean like it, it was mm-hmm. just um as a partner in a relationship like it it, it educated me in, in so many different ways like it was cathartic for me writing um and so for me even when it comes to the greeting cards like it starts with me first it's almost like i'm advising myself I'm trying to give myself something that wasn't given to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Toni Morrison said it best when she wrote The Bluest Eyes. She said she wrote that book because she wanted to she wanted to write the book that she wanted to read. That book wasn't already on the shelf. And so that's the same, I didn't know it at the time, but that's the same kind of approach that I've taken. I so everything. I see that, yeah. Yeah. I have the same approach when it comes to my art that I want to create art because I focus on having stories, contemporary stories of people from the African diaspora as we live here in mm-hmm. Europe. A lot of us are here, but we don't mm-hmm. see ourselves that much right. around ourselves. So a lot of the art that I create is about us, for us, to tell our stories mm-hmm. in that way. So I really resonate with that. You are very articulate about the things that you are saying, your your beliefs, your values, <laughs> and it can have a positive side to it because people get to know who you are, right? You yeah. do not sugar-coated, you present yourself mm-hmm. as who you are. Mm-hmm. I also believe it's that- It's time to get to that. It, it, can, it can be a negative to it as it well, can. I think. It took some time for me to, to grow to that though, but go Basically. ahead. Yeah. Um. Well, because when I first, the, the person that I, so I, I'm in a relationship and yeah. he said to me, I was already doing this when I met him, but at some point he went and looked back at some of my early videos and he said, you are a different person then. Mm-hmm. Same person, but I'm sure my approach to how I do the videos were different. Yeah. Um, one of the things that Toni Morrison gave me courage to to say and do also was that to, to be steeped in my blackness. Mm. Because you and I were talking off camera a moment ago, and I was saying that oftentimes with black artists or black entrepreneurs or black business owners, 
sometimes we kind of we try to dance to white folks because we think we need the support of white folks for the business to sustain. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to tell you that your the way your customer service should be equitable across the board. When you're yeah. dealing with white folks, Hispanic folks, whatever, it should be the same. But oftentimes people of color feel that we have to play to white folks because if we don't secure the white dollar, then the business is not going to sustain. Mm -hmm. And so we oftentimes will give a better quality of service to people that are that people that don't look like us almost the best version of yourself you give that to someone else but yeah. what is not so best you give that to someone another person basically yeah. reflecting what you're seeing in someone else i don't see the best in you i'm not giving the best of me to right and, yeah. and just to elaborate further with what i was saying to you earlier um when we were off camera mm. um i have gone into businesses whether they were black owned or whether or not they were just black operated. So in other words, somebody else owns it, but it's black people at the counter. And I have seen white people, white customers in front of me in line, get better service. You know, the black person that's waiting on them. Oh, hi, how are you? All these extra smiles, they rolled out the red carpet. And then when I walk my black ass up there, it's like, oh, hey, how you doing? Um, what can I get you? Well, not even and I have actually called, called them out. Hello. Not even a good morning. Or not even a hello. No. Not a smile. Not a smile. And I have okay. said to them, and I have said to to the person, so you mean to tell me you're gonna give this white lady better service than, and, and I don't care if the white lady hears me. So you're gonna give this white woman better service than you just gave me? Her dollar is no more important than mine. Yeah. You know, and then I've even gone as far as to say, if your black ass was stranded on the side of a road in your car, who you think gonna stop for you first, me or her? You understand what I'm saying? So, so it took some courage to get here, right? Yeah. But that also comes with age. I'm 45, so it, <laughs> well, it well, 45 looks good. Well, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, so so how do you? So it can have a negative. It can have a positive. So how do you mm -hmm. ground that? Because I can I can imagine that that is really a practice that you have, being authentic, being articulate, and not fading into the background or, you know, mm -hmm. easing Shrinking. the message people so that it makes it understandable you don't want to hurt their feelings just to go even deeper into that when you start the introduction of your uh of your youtube videos there's a sentence that you say if you have paper day, for you yes i say if you have tissue paper feelings this may not be the channel for you don't be here in other words log out go somewhere else yeah because my thing is Interestingly enough, because um, I have white viewers too, and I've never been called, and white supporters, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and when I say supporters, I mean people that have purchased the books or they send cash apps when I'm on the live or yeah. whatever. Um, I've never been called racist because I think, I don't think that, I, I know I'm not, but I don't think it comes off as racist either because first of all, I talk about issues, like I was just talking about black folks who sometimes do too much to try to, so I, I, across the board, you know, I call out ills in society, period, whether it's mm. something that black folks do or white folks do or Hispanic folks, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just talk about the things that I've, I've witnessed. Um, yeah. And you're standing firm into that. Firm to both feet. Listen, as the, as the, as the cliche goes, you, you, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. For anything. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. And is it also, because now I, I really hear that it's already ingrained in you. So for, for you, it's like brushing your teeth, waking up. It is. Going, it just is. doing your groceries. And by the way, I'm also just very articulate and very strong in my opinion. Yes. Yeah. I love <laughs> that. I absolutely love yeah. that. But I also love that you say it came with time. It came over time. It you know, time. um, I don't think I ever shrunk in my blackness, but I wasn't as un unabashed either mm -hmm. in my thoughts. Like these thoughts that I have um, were kind of reserved for me and my inner circle, like my friends and the people that I, you know, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily talk about this on the internet, right? 
But in fact, my partner and I, we were out at dinner. This was a couple months ago, a month or so ago. And um, no, it was a couple months ago. And so I remember, you know how some of these restaurants, I need to get my charger for my um, laptop. It's about to die. Go, 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 go. <laughs> Let me grab it. And then I'm going to finish my story. <laughs> so in the meantime, Craig is taking his charger. It happens, people. It can happen. All right. And he's coming back. I'm here. Let me plug it up. All right. Okay. Let me plug it up. That light flashed up there, and I said, like, oh, wait a minute now. Okay, we're good. Yeah. So we were out to eat. And you know how some of these restaurants, you have like those two-seater pub tables where you're sitting in the park with mm -hmm. this small table. And they'll have somebody right next to you and right next to you on this side. So you kind of got a scooch in just to get to your, yeah. your seat. So we were having, we were eating. And um, there were two white women sitting right next to us. And um, I can't remember what we were talking about. But we were talking about something very black and very white. And black and white people. And um, I can't remember what it was. And I was just having a conversation with him, just like I'm talking to you. And um, and he said, um, you know these white ladies are here. I said, and I don't care. I don't care if they hear what I'm saying. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it wasn't, I wasn't saying anything to be offensive. I was just talking about the meats and, and potatoes of whatever it was. Yeah. And so behind us, there was a party of black people. And they were celebrating somebody's birthday. It was like eight of them or 10 of them. And they, they were celebrating somebody's birthday. And so one of the white ladies whose back was to them, she didn't even see them over there. But at some point she turned around and saw that they were um, taking pictures. And she turned around and she made it her business and said, hi, did you guys need, to, need me to take a picture? Nobody asked for anything. But my, no, partner, my, partner, my partner felt in that moment that she did that because she overheard what we were talking about. I said, I don't know why she did it, but you know. Just nosy for no reason. Right. But again, I just don't shrink. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And again, I'm not I, I'm not intentionally offensive. Like, I'm not walking around trying to incite people. Um, but if I'm at, at a restaurant and I'm talking to my friends and we're talking about something that's going on in the world or yeah. uh, unarmed black people getting shot and killed, I'm not going to mince words or, or, you know, whisper because it's white people around. I'm just not going to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. More people should be doing that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that writing was a cathartic uh, practice mm -hmm. for you. Can you explain to people yeah. what that exactly means? I've never been a person that journals. And I've always heard people say, oh, it's, so, it's, it's, a, it's a release to be able to journal. Whether you journal or you have a therapist. I had a therapist for a while. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think you have to have some sort of a release. Um, I don't care if it's you just writing yourself a letter. I just think sometimes you have to get it off of you, whatever yeah. that is. And so for me, um, writing, which it always starts with me. I've said that before. So it's not, when I say it starts with me, I mean, I'm doing it for me, for the purpose of healing whatever or getting out whatever frustration I have. Mm -hmm. And then once it's out, I determine whether or not, oh, I will share this with people. You know what I mean? Whether it's mm -hmm. something I'm going to publish. So everything that I've written isn't something that's meant to be published. Like words never spoken. And when I first wrote it, I didn't think that anybody would ever see that. Yeah. That's why it's called words it's never spoken. These are things that I have never told anybody. So when I was writing it, I said, well, no, this is just for me. I didn't know that it was a book when I first got to LA and mm -hmm. first started writing. It wasn't until I finished the prologue and a friend of I let a friend of mine read it. Again, I'm still not thinking that it's a book. Still have no clue why I'm in L.A. I'm just in L.A. Because Atlanta became hard. And I, heard, I, I answered the call. Mm -hmm. And I let a friend of mine read it, the prologue, which was only about seven pages or so. And um, he called me and he said, this is really good. He said, where's the rest? He said, I want to read the rest. And I said, what do you mean the rest? That's it. And I wasn't calling it a prologue. It was just seven pages, right? And um, he said, I want to read the rest. I said, what do you mean the rest? There's no rest. That's it. He said, no, 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 there's more. 
He said, this makes me want to know where you come from, the people that you come from. He said, Greg, you're really funny. And you're, you know, he said all these things. And he said, it makes me want to know your stock. What stock do you come from? Like, what's the story behind this? Like, where did you grow up? And that, and I said, really? And you're like, I'm like, this, 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 that piece made you want to know all of that. Yeah. And so I said, okay. And I don't even know if I was committed once I got off the phone with him, but I did. I got off the phone. And at some point, I don't know if it was that same day or that, that same week, but I started writing more and I began with, um, my story begins May 4th, 1976 in Baltimore, Maryland. That was the first line of, of the first chapter. Mm-hmm. And I started there because he said to me, it makes me want to know where you come from. Yeah. Like, how did, how did you get, like, where did, how did you get here? And so then I just realized that it was a book. And that was why, in fact, I was nudged to move to LA. Do people also get that when they mm-hmm. read your books, that they respond to you like, I read your book and I feel like, I can open myself up. I can let things go or I can now go do things that I really feel that I need to be doing right now. Do you think that that's energy trans- transferred to them, to your audience? Yeah. I mean, you know, there are times that, and I haven't read any of the reviews in a while. Oh, well, mm-hmm. I'm lying. I just read the reviews the other night, but that was the first time I had looked at the reviews in forever. Like I'll look at the Amazon reviews or I'll go to iTunes. Cause like I said, it's on iTunes too. So I'll sometimes, and I look on audible, I'll just look at the different reviews in the different places where people can buy books. And I just want to read and see what they're saying. And, and surprisingly, there have been times that I have sat and sobbed. I've Ooh. cried reading the reviews wow. because it's everything from <clears throat> gay white men to uh, Hispanic people, you know, saying this book is, I understand that, you know, you're a black gay man and you wrote it from your perspective, Mm -hmm. but I am not that. (laughs) You know what I mean? In particular, women have said to me, women changed the way that I languaged how I described the first book. I used to say, oh, you know, it's my story as a gay man and it's my Mm -hmm. journey and da, da, da. And somebody said to me, I think she emailed me. I don't even think this is a review. She emailed me through my website. She said, this is not a gay story. She said, I see myself in this book. I see my girlfriends. These are some of the same conversations that we have. And then, like I said, there was a white man who stopped me one day. I was out having drinks. I was in Baltimore. And he literally sat there and started crying. He grabbed my arm. He said, oh, my God. He said, I'm a lot older than you. And he said, I was married for 17 years. He said, if I had this book before I got married, he said, I would have never gotten married. He said, I wouldn't have spent so many years in that marriage. He said, I'm grateful for my children. He said, but this book changed me. Like, yeah. I still stay in touch with him sometimes, you know, through social media or whatever. But it, it does. It, it changed me. It really did. It really changed the way. It changed my focus um, and how I spoke about the book. Because a friend of mine said to me years ago, a friend of mine in L.A., someone that I, whose path I crossed in L.A., mm-hmm. and she and I don't even stay in touch anymore. But I say that because your path is your path. And you yeah. all, and that includes the jobs that you work and the people that you sometimes meet. Sometimes they're there just to give you a lesson, mm-hmm. just to give you a gem to kind of nudge you in this direction. Like you could right. be going this way and the universe is trying to direct you over here. Yeah. And that person's advice or that interaction with that person can take you in the direction that you need to go. But she said to me when I lived in LA, she said, you know, sometimes your confidence has to catch up with your talent. Hmm. Can you say that again? Your confidence has to catch up with your talent. Yeah. And when she said that, I just, I, I didn't understand. I mean, no, I understood immediately what she meant, but I was able to apply it to my life. And it was just it like, hit. wow. Yeah. It hit. And do you then also see that you're, I, I can understand that for certain people, it might sound like a conceited thing, but mm-hmm. I don't see it as a conceited thing because what you mm-hmm. just said, it, I understand it fully. When you then see how people react to you and you notice that, wait a minute, my work is needed. My place here is needed. I need to step into the role. And this is the role. This is the greatness that is acquired of me. This is the ethic, the work ethic that is acquired of me. If I don't step into it, then people don't get to hear, see me as the artist that I am, also as the person that I am. And for some mm-hmm. people, it can be like, 
you think you're full of yourself, but I actually believe that that is a good thing to have. I hear that, hear that from you, but also have that as well for my own, for my own self, but I can really hear it in your story. Yeah. And, 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 uh, so book of Joe's, that's the most recent book. It's, it's 11 of the biggest life lessons that I've learned. Mm -hmm. And I talk about each of those chapters. I apply it to my own life and how I arrived at the lesson. And one of the things, um, that I realized was you, it, that takes a certain amount of ego mm -hmm. to be able to be successful, right? To be able to follow your dream, to chase your dream and, so you have to have that. Not not enough ego where you're you're vain or you're conceited or anything like that. But here's what I know to be true. Everything that I went through to get to this point, it was necessary for me to go through all of those things. Every job that I, I had, every car repossession that I had, those were the things that humbled me. So my ego doesn't precede me. And I understand that, like you said, this is a gift. It, this is my gift, and this is the gift that I'm sharing with the world. Yeah. Everybody has a different gift. And you understood the gift, and you accepted exactly. it. Yeah, you exactly. were to accept that. And I think we also talked about it earlier that for certain people, and sometimes also, you know, Black people, understanding their value, yes. who they are, what they have to offer is so important because it is needed. Your representation of who you are is just as needed as that white person in on the TV or who's writing that mm -hmm. book, who's creating that painting, mm -hmm. your representation mm -hmm. is needed, but you have to value yourself enough to get to that point and actually say, this is a gift and I'm offering it. I'm yeah. here to offer it. it it's hard sometimes for uh, any artist, I don't mm -hmm. care what your um, ethnicity is, for any artist and not all, but a lot of times an artist finds it difficult to attach value to their work. Yeah. Whether you're a painter, um, when I first started, I was writing custom gr greeting cards or I would write wedding vows and people would say, well, how much do you charge to do that? I would almost cringe because I didn't know how to say, well, it's going to cost this. You know, and so sometimes you, you, you reduce your price, mm -hmm. you reduce your value because you're afraid that the real price that you want to attach to it will scare the person away. Yeah. And so you'd rather secure them than to run them away. So you'll give them something that's really below value, below market value. Mm -hmm. And again, your confidence has to catch up with your talent. Once you know, here's how I say it. Once you know your name, once you begin to know your name, you just don't accept any old thing. No. And that doesn't mean you try to break the bank, but you have to, you know, you have to know your value. You have to know what you, what you're worth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great, great creative jewels that I'm hearing. And another thing that I've noticed in your vlogs on YouTube is that you mm -hmm. observe and you listen to people. You really take mm -hmm. your time to do that in order to give advice, advice that mm -hmm. is practical for people to use, because we, we all can ask advice from someone and it's like, okay, yeah, whatever, or it's yeah. general or just a little bit fluffy, but you really yeah. go to the core, when somebody mm -hmm. asks you something or somebody mm -hmm. comes with their issue, you try to listen as well as you can and observe. How did you develop that ability to be a listener and observer? Um, well, here's the thing. By the time I share the advice on the live, I would have thought about it for a while. Mm -hmm. Usually somebody, someone will email me through the website or, um, they might message on Patreon or something like that, but I'll kind of think about it and I pray on it. Like I, like I pray every single day. Um, I absolutely pray at night before I go to bed as well. Yeah. Um, but one of my, pardon me, one of my prayers has, has been for some time that God uses my gift that he uses my words and that he orders my steps, mm -hmm. you know? And so, and every time that I sit down to write something, every single book that I've published, I sat down and, and, and prayed every time that I was sitting down to write, um, that, that God uses me or uses my words effectively. I wanted to be effective. That was what I used to pray. I didn't pray for success. I prayed for, to be effective, mm -hmm. for people to be able to take the stuff in and to really get what I intended for them to get, yeah. but then to also be able to get whatever they needed to get from it. Right. 
Um, so the same is true for like when somebody sends me an email and say, hey, um, you know, they talk about a relationship and a lot of these are women. Um, a lot of them are women and they're, call they're not calling, but they're emailing about um, advice about following their own dream or a relationship question. And I just think about it. I pray about it. I think about it. And then I come and speak about it on the live. Yeah. You know? It's obvious. It's obvious that you do that. And by doing that, by using all those other characteristics that you embody as a person, mm -hmm. did you ever have the feeling of, wait a minute, this is not part of me being a writer. I came here to be a writer. I didn't come here to be on YouTube, giving people advice yes. and be a therapeutic person for them or, you know, an outlet or anything. I came here to be a writer. I'm a writer. When did that, yes, when did that shift? Because I had the same thing when I was doing the paintings and then I started to go on Instagram and things like that. I was like, I'm a painter. This is outside of the scope this of what I This is outside of the scope. So how did you get comfortable with it and understand that it actually is all part of who you are? It is. Um, so when I first started doing live streams, I had already been doing the podcast. I had already mm. been doing so much to say. So I had... I, uh, I'd probably been doing it uh, almost a year before I started doing live streams, right? I was very comfortable talking just on the microphone and you just hearing my voice, like yeah. not seeing me. Um, because that was another layer of unveiling, like being visible where people could see you. Yeah. And, and, and there's more room for people to judge. And, you know, um, so I just, I kind of shied away from it. And then a friend of mine said to me, she said, listen, you need to, she said, I know you wrote these books and you're trying to sell these books. She said, but in order to sell these books, people have to like you. She said, if people like you, they'll support anything you do. Mm -hmm. And she said, you need to start, and I'm paraphrasing, but essentially what she said was, you need to start using your personality and get on live. She said, you, I said, and what am I going to do? What am I going to talk about when I get on live? She said, whatever. She said, get in the car, put that camera on, and just start talking. Mm -hmm. And and that was what I did. You, or, you know, put it on when you're in the house or wherever. But she said, just start talking. Talk about what's going on in your life, like what you did today or what you had for breakfast. And then the people will start commenting. And then it's just a conversation. She said, but it's important that you're live. Mm -hmm. Don't just record a video and upload it. She said, because people want to know that you're there right now. Mm. They want to know that if they send a question through there, that you can comment, right? And so she said, she said, watch you start selling those books. And that was what happened. Um, yeah, I don't have any other way to describe it. <laughs> it is really funny how that works, how actually all the other things just work in your favor, actually. Yeah. Work in your yeah, favor. Was, yeah. So again, she was... She was another one of those things, one of those vehicles, one of those people that God, the universe, put on my path mm. to send me in a different direction, mm. right? Um, but yeah, I do see how it all goes together, though. Yeah. You know, I really do. Um, and then she and I, that that person is T.S. Madison. I'm not sure. If, I know. You know okay, so uh, she and I became friends as a result of that. Yeah. And then I started tapping into my broadcast journalism background because then I started, uh, I became the showrunner for her online show where they mm -hmm. talked about pop, black pop culture, what was going on in the world of pop culture. And so I started curating the topics um, and, and, you know, writing the talking points and that yeah. kind of thing and producing. I started producing the show through our friendship. And, um, and so it was It was Madison who suggested that I first go live. She was the one who told me to use my personality to sell those books. And then she was approached with a reality TV show deal and brought me along on the show. And the show followed us putting together this show. Mm -hmm. And so that was nerve-wracking in and of itself. So to go back to a question that you asked me earlier, how did I develop the courage to be able to do it? Like, I was terrified when, I mean, of course I wanted to do it, to do the reality show but i was terrified because i was like this is a whole nother level of judgment this is a whole nother exactly. level it's a whole nother audience it's a bigger audience like we were don't on, have any control over it yeah we were on we tv and then they put it on watch all black which is a black streaming app with all of the black content 
And so I was nervous. I was a nervous wreck. And so like my friends and everybody wanted to do like a watch party. I said, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. I need to watch this by myself. And um, but my, my partner and I, we watched it together, but I almost yeah. didn't want to watch it with him. I almost wanted to watch it by myself. Yeah. Because I didn't know what they I didn't know what I was gonna see on the TV. But um, but I enjoyed it and um so yeah. Just another elevation of who you are, basically. Yeah. I think God prepares us for everything that we um that he puts in front of us. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. so it was just about walking in the direction of fear. That's another thing. I believe that you always walk in the direction of fear. fear. Yeah, why is that so important for, for people to do that? Maybe that's a really interesting point for other artists and creatives that they're listening and they are thinking to themselves, well, I want to make that step in my life. But I, like you said, there's a fear. It's, it can be, you know, frightening. It can really numb you. It, you can run the other direction. Why is it so important for people to understand you have to go into that direction? Because that's usually the answer. That's the, the answer is usually on the other side of your fear. Mm. And, and that applies in any facet of life, whether you're talking about trying to move to a new emotional level in your relationship and you're afraid to walk in the direction of that fear because of past trauma. Mm-hmm. Or you want to start, like there, there came a time in my career where I was afraid to take risks because of past trauma. You know what I mean? Like I said to you um, earlier, there was a time that I had $660 in overdraft fees because I had taken risks mm-hmm. in my career. You know, I was betting on myself yeah. and things didn't turn around as quickly as I thought. There were times that I had cars repossessed. Uh, I was never thrown out of an apartment, but I definitely had those notices on the door like, uh, we need our money by this date or you got to go. So there came a time that I was afraid to take risks. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up taking a job somewhere and, I started making some money and got started getting comfortable again. And I was afraid to leap off that, that cliff again. And exactly my dream. Cause I was like, well, no, I'm getting comfortable now. I'm used to making this money every two weeks. I can't go back to that uh, precarious way of living, Mm -hmm. but I had to challenge myself. And I just believe personally, and I say this in one of them books, your success is on the other side of your sacrifice. Yeah. But the question becomes, what are you willing to sacrifice for your success? Mm. That's a good one. <laughs> and again, I, that doesn't I had to mean, let that sit. I had to let that sit. Oh. But I have to. But but that doesn't mean go mortgage out your loan. No, you know I mean? go no, take no, out no. a second mortgage. I'm not saying that. Be because that again, that's ego. You got to be be clear about intuition and ego. Mm-hmm. Those are two different things. Your ego will tell you to go and mortgage your home. And you ain't even got no customer base yet. You understand what I'm saying? Exactly. It's different if you it's different if you got the customer base and you can't keep up with the orders, and so you need the money. So then you go mortgage your home, yeah. you know, your home. That's different. But if you just talk about you starting up, you ain't even open up the door, and you just talking about you trying to get the seed money, and you talking about uh uh-uh, uh, that's different. Yeah. But your your success is on the other side of your sacrifice. And your sacrifice could mean sleep. Yeah, you work a day job. But it means sacrificing a few extra hours in the morning. You typically may get up at 6.30 to go to work, but maybe you need to get up at 4.30, exactly. Monday you through Friday, Monday through Friday yeah. to invest some time in your business. So success is, I mean, sac- sacrifice isn't always financial. Sometimes it's sacrificing time away from your family, sacrificing time away from your friends, mm-hmm. sacrificing, t- sacrificing time to be single and not trying to be in a relationship because you have to devote a certain amount of time to your relationship. So maybe you need to sacrifice being in a relationship and focusing on your dream. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that is a good, good intro to the next question because you have been very candid about the people that have been involving your life, life, Mm -hmm. your, your, uh, the relationship that you have with your friends, really close friends, your partner, Mm -hmm. the relationship that you have with your mother and other family members. Mm -hmm. I see the importance of showing that to people, having that network around you. But can you explain to the audience why it's important to have a good network around you that understands who you are and where you're going to and how important it is to have people that basically are softly pushing you to go forward and also not allow you to forfeit your own dream? It's interesting. Um, I call that my tribe. Mm. 
And so the people that I have now um, are the people that would, that believed in what I was trying to do, mm -hmm. right? And people don't always believe what you're trying to do, believe in it, you know, especially in the beginning, before you start to see the fruits of your labor. People are like, what? Like even my mom in the beginning, she was like, listen, that, that writing thing, that's a hobby. You need to go and get you, you know what I mean? But then I made her a believer once exactly. that first page place sold out. Um, but the same was true for like certain friends and like even some of my mom, like one of my mom's friends, it, mm -hmm. I've known her all of my life. She's like an aunt to me. And one, and I talk about this in Book of Jewels. I'm not just trying to plug. I'm just, yeah, but yeah, like, about it. Plug, plug away. <laughs> but I was talking about it in Book of Jewels, like something she said to my mother that my mother relayed to me, it really crushed me. Like she was like, do you, because well into my thirties, like probably like 31, like between 30 and 35, mm -hmm. up to the point that I moved to LA. My mother would still try to help me from time to time. Um, whether it was, um, this is before I wrote the book, like when I was doing the greeting cards, like she would give me money to print greeting cards or when I was doing the stage play, she would loan me money to uh, secure the theater and then yeah. I would pay her back or whatever. But, or she was paying my rent. And I remember, um, her girlfriend said to her, um, do you sometimes think that you wasted your money sending Craig to college? Because it's like he's not even working on his dream. And as innocent as it may have been, that thing pierced my heart. It is a stabbing, right? it's stabbing, it's heart. A stabbing heart. Because it was one of those things that I was thinking that people who knew me were thinking anyway. Oh, he, he is. He's still trying to do this writing thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and I'm steadily getting older. I'm 30. Now I'm 31. And now I got friends. They're buying homes. Mm. And I'm still renting apartments, trying to hold on to them. Yeah. But the people who truly, truly, truly believed are the people that are still here in my network or still in my tribe. The people that didn't really believe are no longer here. Mm -hmm. um, but it's important to have people to kind of push you along. But aside from that, it's important for you to believe first. Because if you believe first, then other people will believe. You can make other people believers. And I'm not saying you go out and try to change their mind about you and what you're doing. They'll change their mind based on how you're moving. When they see you dedicated to your dream and to your gift or talent or whatever it is, they'll jump on board. Like I had friends that would say, um, I, I would have greeting card parties or I was auditioning for the stage play or whatever I had going on at the time. Mm -hmm. And I would have friends say, well, hey, listen, if you need any help this weekend, I'll, you know, they would throw themselves out. I believe the universe always supplies. Yeah. Whatever it is that you need, the universe always supplies. I think sometimes we experience lack because we fear not having enough. And so we put that energy out. And so then we don't have enough. And so, um, you know, I just really believe that the universe, God is always working in our favor to try to connect the dots for us as quickly and as most efficiently as possible. Yeah. But we sometimes get in the way. We get the tampering and, and we sometimes get in the way. But that's my Alexa going on. Um, but, you know, so the people who really believed, they, were, they, they did. They, they were there and... Um, but not all of them completely got it, but they just believed and was just like, well, listen, I, I support you. And I have friends that let me stay with them um, for free for periods of time because they believed in what I was doing. Now you can't say that you trying to do this, that, and the third, and you're not doing anything. You out to eat with your friends all the time and you're not actively trying to move your dream forward and you expecting friends yeah. and family to jump on board this dream with you. But even with that being said, Sometimes strangers are the first ones to support you. you believe, yeah. And do you yeah. also believe that they might not believe the dream, but they believed you because they knew who you were as a so, person? It's so important that you said that because I'm a big fan of Shark Tank, the, the TV show. Yeah, yeah. We have a TV Yeah, one of the things that I heard somebody say on there once is um, investors don't really invest in businesses. They invest in people. You know, I have to believe that you can get it done. I'm going to put my money over here because I believe you can get it done. Yeah. Yeah. That is an interesting one. Good one. We don't have that much time, but I'm still going to push a couple of questions. Okay. Because a lot of, a lot of, a lot of creative, creative tools that people can use. Um, this is more business minded, mm -hmm. business like. And the thing that I also discuss a lot in the episodes that I have for the podcast is that 
one of the beliefs is that, that I have is that when you become an entrepreneur or actually when you become an artist and you start uh -huh. to feed into the craft, you also start to actually get into the field of being an entrepreneur. And what you hear a lot of artists say is that, well, I'm not really about the business. I don't want to get involved in that. You know, it's not my thing. But I believe that well, you don't have to know everything, but you do have to know how you do your business because you yes, do not right. want to work with somebody and then you come up short or you are at the short end of the stick. And yeah. I had a couple of instances in my life that I was like, okay, I, you know what? I can sell my art over here. And then, you know, people might be looking at what you're doing and trying to imitate that. That is, mm -hmm. that is one instance that I have been in. So my own experiences have really taught me to be mindful of my business. Yeah, yeah. So how do you look at that? Do you believe that or do you do you think that it's a very important factor for artists to have that that business mindset? Yeah, and you may and like you said, you don't have to be an expert in everything, but you should know mm -hmm. a little bit about a lot of things. Um and every single thing, like when I first first started out, it was it was always just me. And for the most part, now it's still just me. Now mm -hmm. I do have an assistant and I have an intern that I call on to help, you know, with different things. Um, but everything that I ask them to do, I'm able to do it because I had to do it first. So it was a matter of me shifting things to them because of um, time and um, uh, just attention, time mm -hmm. and attention. Um, and it's like, I have to work on something over here so I don't have time to do this. So I, I delegate certain things, but I can do everything. But I've seen um, entrepreneurs make that mistake um, I have a friend who had a restaurant, operative word, had, and one of the cardinal mistakes that I believe he made was, and he had an, he had an investor, somebody came in and put in money and he was supposed to open up this restaurant. One of the first things he did, and I touched on this earlier, he wanted, and he didn't actively say this or think this, I don't think, but from my perception, looking at, from my vantage point, he wanted to create this perception or this illusion that the restaurant was already successful, that it was already, so he was hiring all of his staff and, you know, he was buying all this furniture for the restaurant where he didn't cut enough corners for me. If I was the investor, I would say, no, this is what we need to do first. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Because you still need operational costs. Like you don't need to create this illusion that the business is already flourishing because exactly. you got all this staff in here. No. You may, you hire the people that you need to hire, one or two, but then you need to be in there cooking. He had a chef in there cooking. I'm like, why aren't you cooking? This is supposed to be your restaurant. Yeah. Maybe you're there for a few hours in the afternoon and then you, you know, have a break where, you know, you have somebody else that comes in, but then you coming back. You come back for the evening. Like you need to be working. You need to get to the point where you can kind of pull back a little bit, release the reins a little bit and have other people manage day-to-day -day stuff but you should always have your hands in that he had all these weight staff and i mean he just had all these people like my thing is he should have been cooking he should have been ringing people up on that cash register he should have been taking food out to the table like you do it all to Basically cut down understanding on, what your business is about yeah that and to cut down on operational costs why are you why are you heavy why is your overhead heavy with um with 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 salaries and and and, and, and uh payroll like that makes no sense. And so needless to say, the restaurant closed up. Mm. So it is just really important for people to mind their business. I yeah. say it a lot in the in the podcast, like Yeah. Don't fool you, yourself into thinking that you need yourself. staff. Yeah, don't fool yourself into thinking that you need staff before you before you're ready. True. You'll know when you'll know when you really need staff. Because I mean, even in, that, even in that early stage, in the in the example of this restaurant, mm -hmm. you could have had some of your friends come and help, not for pay, of course. Mm -hmm. Hey, can somebody come and help me run this? You know what I'm saying? I need somebody on the rest register. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, try to get friends and family to come and help you when possible. You know, having like that network. Yeah, having that network. Yeah. And know. also, what I also believe is that when you understand what it is that you're doing, and somebody else steps in that you know exactly what it is that you expect from that person to do for you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If you set the tone and somebody else steps in to do that work for you, you either expecting the same level or more, nothing less. Yeah. Nothing yeah. less than that. 
And I think that is a big mistake that a lot of people make. They trust people too easily or think, well, it's, you know, it will work itself out without understanding that money is an energy investment as well. Yeah. So if you lose a lot of that, you basically, like you explained in that example that you made, you, you, you might be just might as well just be shutting down yourself as well. So yeah, great example. There you have it. That. So with that being said, I had a lot more questions, but I have to, maybe there's going to be a part two, maybe somewhere in the future. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I really enjoyed this conversation. You gave a lot of good perspectives. And the thing that I always mention in the in the podcast is that I give perspectives, the work you get to do. So yeah. what you have offered will definitely be something for people to do. They need not now need to think about what it is they can do, how they can apply mm -hmm. it. Maybe they need to subtract something. Maybe they need to add something to their lives. That is on them. And you definitely show that you have done work in your life to do so. Yeah, well, thank you. But listen, table yeah. those questions. And if you get a good response from your Patreon foe, then we'll, we'll schedule it. Yeah, we should do yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Before I go, tell the people how they can reach you, your socials, everything, your books. Where can they find you? Sure. Um, Excuse me. Everything is right at CraigTheWriterStewart.com. Um, I don't know if they're going to see my name down there, but yeah, um, yeah it's, it's www.CraigTheWriterStewart.com. From there, you can read more about me. Um, all of my social con contacts are from there, or you can reach them from there. My YouTube channel, my Facebook channel, mm -hmm. as well as my Instagram channel. It can in my Patreon. It directs you from there. Um, and my Twitter. Um, so everything is there. So CraigTheWriterStore.com, um, how you can purchase the books. It will direct you to Audible or you can purchase them directly from my website. Yeah. Um, but yeah, everything's from CraigTheWriterStore.com. And are there any things coming up in the near future that you would like to share? <laughs> so Derek J. We still need to be a little bit of secret. You, you can tell yeah. that offline. Yeah. Derek J. and I are... Um, we're hosting a show called Gay Like Me Conversations. And we talk mm -hmm. about all things that are central to black LGBTQ plus people um, from the trans perspective, male and female, uh, as well as parents of queer children or people who are struggling with that identity or whatever the case is. So we talk about everything under the sun. Um, we have a YouTube channel as well. It's um, on YouTube, it's Gay Like Me Conversations. Mm -hmm. So we're in talks of selling the show. So hopefully we'll be on a streaming service or television something soon. Hopefully. But yeah, for now it's on YouTube, Gay Like Me Conversations. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I think that diversity is really, really great to see. And also to see that we are all people. We all go through the same thing. So why not see that from different perspectives? Absolutely. So hopefully yeah. that will come. Well, Craig, yeah. I'm not going to hold you up any longer. Thank you so much for your time. And you. hopefully we're going to talk maybe in the future. Yes, so, for sure. And all the best to you and everything that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Looking forward right. to it. Thank you. Bye.